This audio presentation is brought to you by the Baptist Missionary Association Theological Seminary. The BMA Seminary provides accredited theological education for equipping God's people for Christ-centered service and leadership roles with three online degrees available now. We are committed to the inerrancy and authority of Holy Scripture and to making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information about the BMA Seminary and its online degree programs, go to bmats.edu or call toll-free 800-259-5673. That's 800-259-5673. The passage assigned to me uh, for today, for this week, is uh, the 15th chapter of Mark's Gospel. In this chapter, we see four uh, distinct uh, vignettes, uh, each of which deserve our, uh, or there's a, I'm sorry, that's a singular, isn't it? Each of which deserves our uh, concentrated attention. Uh, in verses 1 through 15, a king is condemned by a governor. In verses 16 through 21, uh, the king is mocked by a brutal battalion. Uh, in verses 22 through 41, the king is executed by professionals. And uh, in verses 42 through 47, the king is buried by loving hands. Now, I realize I've already failed the alliteration test, but uh, that really doesn't bother me all that much. Sorry. As I said, these four vignettes deserve our concentrated attention. And, of course, we don't have time for all of that. So I'm not even going to try to deal with all of them. Uh, Today I want us to look at the first of those four sections, and then perhaps on Thursday uh, we'll look at uh, the crucifixion itself. So uh, let me ask you to stand again uh, as we read the uh, first 15 verses of the 15th chapter of Mark's Gospel. And consider for just a few minutes the condemnation of the king. Uh, Mark chapter 15, starting at verse 1. Immediately in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus, led him away, and delivered him to Pilate. Then Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered and said to him, It is as you say. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Then Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you. But Jesus still answered nothing, so the Pilate marveled. Now, at the feast he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas, who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd, so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate 
wanting to, thank you. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them. And he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. You may be seated. <coughs> thank you, Kerry. <coughs> Let's drop back to the last few verses of chapter 14 for just a moment, <coughs> uh, where we see Peter and his triple denial of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter was devastated by his failure, uh, brokenhearted that he could ever have done such a thing as this. This big fisherman had been so sure that he, above all other people, would never deny his Lord. Uh, And yet he had done that very thing, and not just once, but three times. Uh, First, before one of the servant girls of the high priest, he denied knowing anything about Jesus, and uh, the rooster crowed. And I'm confident that he heard the crowing of that rooster. Another servant girl pointed Peter out to the crowd, and uh, uh, again Peter denied knowing Jesus. Finally, someone else accused him of being one of the disciples. Other bystanders joined in, but Peter adamantly denied knowing Jesus. And that was when he heard the rooster crow for the second time, and he realized that he had fulfilled the Lord's uh, prediction of Mark Uh, chapter 14 and verse 30. Uh, However, it was not the crowing of the rooster that convicted Peter. It was remembering what Jesus had said. Uh, It is always the word that penetrates the heart and brings about repentance. Peter pondered what Jesus had said and uh, what he himself had done. And his heart was broken and he went out quickly and he wept bitterly. But before we judge Peter too harshly, We need to examine our own lives. How many times have you and I failed the Lord in much the same way? Uh, Perhaps not in saying uh, to those around us, I don't know him. Uh, Certainly, I hope that that's not the case. But how many times have we uh, lost the opportunity or somehow uh, uh, ignored the opportunity to share the gospel with others? Do we, uh, like Peter, talk when we should listen? Uh, argue when we should obey, sleep when we should pray, fight when we should submit. So let's be careful how we treat uh, this uh, dear apostle. Well, now we're in chapter 15. And we find that after the early morning meeting in the home of Caiaphas, after the official verdict of blasphemy was uh, recorded, The Sanhedrin had to come up with a plan of uh, approach, a plan of action, as to how they might carry out the punishment that had just been assessed. Uh, This fellow was accused and convicted of blasphemy. How are we going to uh, have the sentence uh, of death uh, carried out? They could pronounce the death sentence. But uh, as I understand at that time in history, they had no authority under the current Roman law to exercise the capital punishment. So the condemned prisoner had to be turned over to the Roman authorities for a death sentence to be carried out. The Roman governor could then either ratify the Sanhedrin's uh, death sentence or rescind it. If he rescinded the death sentence, a new trial had to be conducted before a Roman court in which the uh, Sanhedrin would have to prove that the defendant had committed a crime 
that under Roman law was uh, punishable by death. Under these circumstances, the Jewish leaders uh, delivered Jesus to Pilate, hoping for an immediate execution of the death sentence. But Pilate uh, was just not as cooperative as uh, they would have liked, and he decided that he needed to examine Jesus. Uh, Of course, the rulers and the elders were smart enough to know that this would be a very real possibility. So they were prepared in, in advance for the uh, prosecution of the case. Since the charge of blasphemy was not punishable by Roman law, uh, Roman uh, government was absolutely disinterested in this uh, idea of blasphemy. Uh, That charge was uh, simply not mentioned in the ensuing trial. In its place, the Sanhedrin substituted a charge of treason against Rome taking the acknowledgement that Jesus himself had made that he was the Messiah and turning it into a traitorous uh, political claim that he is uh, king of the Jews. Surely the Roman court could not ignore that charge. Now, a little bit about Pontius Pilate before we go on. He was the fifth Roman prefect of Judea, a title that was later changed to uh, procurator, which made him basically an imperial magistrate. Uh, He held the office from 26 to 36 AD. Uh, He was a harsh governor who just absolutely despised the Jews. Normally, he uh, resided in Caesarea uh, near the Mediterranean Sea, but uh, he came to Jerusalem on special occasions, such as the Passover festival, uh, uh, to help maintain order And uh, that was the reason that he was in Jerusalem at this particular point in time. It should be observed here that Mark's account of the trial uh, is the least extensive of all the gospel accounts. Uh, So in order to get a full grasp of uh, everything that went on during this last week and last couple of days of uh, the Lord's earthly walk, we would need to take all of the gospel accounts together. And I hope we do that anyway. Uh, But apparently, Pilate had already heard the charge uh, that was against Jesus. And uh, uh, I think this is seen in the first question that he asked him, the first question that Mark records for us. uh, Are you the king of the Jews? According to uh, Luke chapter 23 and verse 2, the Sanhedrin brought three charges actually against Jesus. They were number one, uh, he is subverting our nation. Number two, he opposes payment of taxes to Caesar. And number three, he claims to be Christ a king. That third accusation was really what uh, caught uh, Pilate's attention. Excuse me, the literal translation of the answer that Jesus gave to Pilate's question, Sulegais, would be simply, you say, with the uh, emphatic pronoun of, Uh, Jack Deere sees this as a cryptic reply, the designation is yours. But uh, there's a qualification attached. Indirectly, Jesus was saying, yes, I am. Uh, But the indirectness of his answer should raise the question, what does it really mean to be the king of the Jews? It doesn't mean what uh, Pilate had in mind when he asked the question. 
uh, as the Jewish Messiah, Jesus is King of the Jews, in a way that Pilate could never have imagined. And John's Gospel gives us uh, a bit of insight into that regard. In uh, John 18.36, Jesus said, My kingship is not of this world. If my kingship were of this world, then my servants would fight. Significantly, Jesus was making it clear that he was no threat to Rome. Well, the chief priests seemed to understand that, and uh, uh, that uh, realization gave them concern that their charge might not stick, uh, since Jesus clearly was no threat to Rome, uh, and they were aware of that. So <clears throat> the chief priests hurled all sorts of accusations against Jesus. Pilate said, look at how many things they're accusing you of. And yet, Jesus did not answer. He refused to defend himself. He stood there in front of the man who could condemn him and a mob who wanted to kill him. And yet, Jesus remained composed, completely at peace. And this, of course, was amazing to Pilate. Our composure and calmness in the, uh, in the face of trials of life can give uh, a good witness to those around us of the keeping power of uh, Jesus Christ. According to the gospel uh, recorded by Luke in uh, chapter 23, verses 6 through 12, Pilate postponed making a decision and sent Jesus to Herod, uh, who was at that time the ruler of Galilee. This was the second civil trial. Herod only mocked Jesus uh, by asking Jesus to entertain him uh, by performing a miracle. When uh, Jesus disappointed Herod in that regard, he was sent back to Pilate for the, the third and final part of the civil trial, the Roman trial. Uh, now, John gives us more details about the Roman trial than Mark does. And uh, when you combine what John says with the uh, uh, the testimony of the other gospel writers, you'll discover that Pilate repeatedly stated that he found no fault in Jesus. He could not see anything in Jesus that was worthy of uh, a condemnation. Pilate, in other words, did not believe Jesus was guilty of the charges that were being brought against him. However, he knew that uh, he had to deal with a hostile Jewish leadership and their people. Uh, his problem was that he lacked the courage, I think, uh, to stand for what he knew was right. He, uh, he wanted to avoid a riot of the Jew Jewish populace uh, because that would bring the disapproval of Rome down on him, and he had already had enough of that. So he decided that rather than announcing an acquittal, he would give the people a choice. He would dump it off into their hands. Uh, apparently, it was a Roman custom during the Passover uh, feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. According to uh, Luke chapter 23, verse 19, there had been an uprising in the city led by an insurrectionist named Barabbas, uh, who may have been a member. I think, this is just my opinion, but I think he probably was a member of that revolutionary group called the Zealots, uh, who bitterly resented the Romans and uh, the Roman occupation of their homeland. At any rate, <clears throat> Barabbas and his followers had been thrown in prison for insurrection 
and murder. So the governor offered the people a choice. Jesus, the Nazarene, or Barabbas, the murderer and insurrectionist, thinking perhaps that uh, sanity would prevail and they would ask uh, to have Jesus released. But the chief priests persuaded the crowd to uh, ask for Barabbas uh, to be set free and for Jesus to be crucified. In verse 12, Peter responds, uh, I'm sorry, Pilate responds by asking, what then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? Uh, I wonder if he wasn't a bit shocked when the crowd gave him only one option, crucify him. Uh, In his bewilderment, he even defended Jesus, saying, why? What crime has he committed? Again, Pilate was showing that he did not believe Jesus was guilty of anything. But the crowd uh, ignored Pilate's question. Uh, Mob psychology had taken over, and they wanted nothing less than to see Jesus crucified. Now think about this for a moment. These Jews who were bringing Jesus to Pilate on a trumped-up charge of treason against Caesar were now demanding uh, the release of a man who actually was guilty of treason against Rome. But they didn't care about that, for they wanted Jesus dead at any cost, by any means. And by the way, Pilate is not free of any blame here. Uh, He also was aware of the crimes of Barabbas. And by his own testimony, he also felt sure that Jesus was guilty of no wrong. As Rodney Cooper says in the Holman New Testament commentary on Mark, and I'm quoting, Pilate the politician came out at this point. He knew he could not win, and he did not want bad reports going back to Rome about a mob scene in his jurisdiction. His previous record of handling matters related to the Jewish people was not the best. If he botched this situation up, then he might as well kiss his political career goodbye, end of quote. Um, So to satisfy the Jews, Pilate released Barabbas and ordered Jesus to be flogged. When uh, I was a boy... I know you have a hard time believing this, but sometimes I did things I shouldn't do. And uh, when that was the case, uh, and it came to the attention of our mother, uh, she directed us to a peach tree uh, located at the edge of our uh, yard, and uh, we were instructed to bring her a lamb from that peach tree, and uh, she would administer a flogging. (laughs) well it it was fun Uh, I never did learn to pick the brittle ones I always got the limber ones but the thing is as much as that stung uh, as much as we disliked it at the time that came nowhere close to even suggesting what Jesus went through flogging or scourging, as it also uh, is called. That was not a light and insignificant punishment uh, that would cause pain for a few minutes or even for a few hours and then subside. The whip that was used to administer the flogging was made of several strips of leather with sharp pieces of bone 
uh, and lead, perhaps sharp rocks, uh, embedded near the ends of the strands. Uh, the Romans first would strip the person who was going to be flogged, tie his hands above, uh, to a post or something above his head uh, to make him totally helpless, and then two men, uh, one on each side of the prisoner, administered the flogging. The Jews limited the number of lashes that a person could receive, uh, usually to no more than 39. The Romans apparently had no limit. Uh, Flogging ripped out chunks of flesh and often left uh, the bones of the victim exposed. Many times, the victim did not survive the flogging. After the flogging, the governor then brought Jesus out for the crowd to see, perhaps hoping that Uh, the sight of the horrible effects of the flogging might stir their pity to the point that uh, they would be satisfied and uh, not insist on proceeding with the crucifixion. John says in uh, chapter 19 of his gospel, verses 4 through 6, Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. And then, of course, followed the uh, disgraceful mockery of Jesus by uh, the whole garrison of soldiers. They clothed him with purple Uh, the kind of clothing that uh, a king might wear. Uh, They put a crown on his head. Uh, The thing is, this crown was made of Jerusalem thorns, inches long, uh, which they pressed down uh, on his head. And to aggravate the the torment of the thorns, they hit him on the head with sticks. They gave him a reed to hold as a royal scepter. Instead of kissing him, as men of that day would commonly do, to uh, members of royalty, they spat on him. More literally, they kept spitting on him. Uh, And in ludicrous mockery, uh, mockery, uh, they bowed down before him and uh, pretended to worship him. Little did they know or even care that the one they had clothed with purple was the Son of God. Little did they know or care that the one they crowned with thorns was the creator of the universe. Charles Haddon Spurgeon says, See above all that crown upon his head. It has rubies in it, but the rubies are composed of his own blood, forced from his blessed temples by the cruel thorns. See, they pay him homage, but the homage is their own filthy spittle which runs down his cheeks. Looking back for a moment, let's see what the Sanhedrin did in his trial uh, before the high priest in chapter 14. In uh, uh, verses 63 through 65, uh, Mark writes, Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Then someone began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him. And to say to him, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. In his study of this passage, 
Spurgeon says, Be astonished, O heavens, and be horribly afraid. His face is the light of the universe. His person is the glory of heaven. And they began to spit on him. Alas, my God, that man should be so base. If anyone ever doubted the depravity of the human soul, all they would need to do is read Mark 14.65. But as Warren Wiersbe says, men had not yet done their worst to God's Son. Now they would lead him outside the city, nail him to a cross, and the servant would die for the sins of the very people who were crucifying him. Crucifixion was not only one of the most disgraceful forms of death, since it was primarily reserved for uh, captive armies and traitors and slaves and the worst of criminals, but it was also one of the most dreaded methods of execution in the ancient world. On top of all of that, as far as the Jews were concerned, to be crucified was uh, to be a curse of God in the minds of the people. Uh, in fact, Paul in uh, Galatians three thirteen and 14 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> the Old Testament passage uh, to which Paul is referring here is uh, Deuteronomy chapter 21 uh, in verses 22 and 23 specifically uh, that reads, If a man has committed a sin deserving of death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, for he who is hanged is accursed of God. Now, <clears throat> it's my understanding, and uh, you should probably check with uh, Dr. Parsons about uh, whether or not this is correct, uh, but it's my understanding that the, the phrase accursed of God is literally the curse of God. Uh, if that is true then how much more meaningful is Paul's statement that Jesus became a curse for us? Although this uh, statement in Deuteronomy does foreshadow the crucifixion, Moses was not writing about crucifixion here. Uh, The Jews did not crucify criminals. They stoned them to death. But in cases of the most shameful violation of the law, they would sometimes hang the body of the stoned-to-death person on a tree for all to see. And again, not for the purpose of putting him to death. He already is dead. But to serve as a stark warning to all who saw not to commit the same offense that this person was guilty of committing. Jack Deere makes a valid observation, in my opinion, uh, when he writes in the Bible Knowledge Commentary, The criminal was under God's curse, not because his body was hung on a tree, but because he had broken God's law by committing a crime worthy of death. Therefore, his body was not to be left on the tree overnight. This text, dear observes, was used by the Apostle Paul, and he cites Galatians 3.13, to support the doctrine of Christ's penal substitutionary death for sinners, 
Christ, being under God's curse, enabled him to redeem us from the curse of the law. Of course, Paul's reference to uh, a tree from this side of the cross relates directly to the crucifixion. He was not stoned to death and then his uh, dead body exposed to the public. He was nailed to that tree and left there to die. But by dying on that cross, Jesus bore the curse of the law for us. So now, uh, for those of us who have believed in and trusted him for salvation, we are no longer under the law, and even better than that, it's terrible curse. The blessing of Abraham, justification by faith, is now ours because of the great price that was paid for our sins by the Son of God himself, Jesus Christ, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief.